Tonight on The Bear Debate, we have four hot topics. Justin Fields, the numbers don't look good. Is he really a franchise quarterback? Tyler Gordon, burnt in Green Bay. But when sifting through the ashes, was his performance really that bad? Roquan Smith, he expects to be the highest paid linebacker in the NFL. But is he anywhere near that good? Expectations. Where should Bears fans place their expectations for the 2022 season? Our debaters, Lester Wolfram from the Windy City Gridiron and Jordan Silvera from the Barroom Network. Get ready to rumble. This is the Bear Debate. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Bear Debate. My name is Aldo Gandia, and I am really looking forward to today's debate show because we've got two guys here who I have a lot of respect for in their coverage of the Chicago Bears. Let's begin the introductions by bringing in Lester Wolfong. Uh, Lester, let me uh, hit this button here and bring you in. There you are. How are you, my friend? Doing good, Aldo. How you been? Great. Listen, before we get into the show, I want uh, you to share with people a little bit about yourself. How long have you been at Windy City Gridiron? And uh, what is your role there? And what else do you do besides uh, uh, editing articles and writing some things? I've been at Windy City Gridiron, I think, uh, 08, 09. I started doing stuff online about the Bears just for fun, like in 06. And uh, I was back with the sporting news and just kind of you know, once I got into it, it was just a great creative outlet. I kind of stumbled across uh, Windy City Gridiron, um, like I said, way back then, and uh, just started off just, you know, just writing in, in the fan post section, just kind of hanging out, and the guy at the time was running the show. I was like, hey, you want to come on and be a, a contributor? I'm like, oh, that's cool. What, what does that mean? Nothing. Just, just you're writing anyway. Just do it now. I'm like, okay. So jumped in and, you know, flash forward a few years, eventually up to a point now I'm running the site, and uh we got the podcast channel. We got the video channel, Second City Gridiron. So we got uh, audio, video, and, and articles. Everything's covered with us now. Outstanding uh, growth story. It's uh, really uh, awesome to see how you've progressed in, in this field. You really do fantastic work. Really appreciate uh, reading your material and the other guys that write for the site. And I honestly have not had a chance to listen to the podcast lately or watch the videos, but it is on my bucket list, and I'll get to it real soon. Let me bring in my guy, uh, Jordan T. Silvera. Jordan, what does the T stand for? A uh, middle name, Tyler. Just had to make a little <laughs> creative. That <laughs> Not that special. Uh, and Jordan, if you don't know by now, does bare necessities here on weekends here at the bar room and also the Barfly Tailgate Show. Uh, Jordan, for people who have not seen Bear Necessities yet, tell us a little bit about what your goal is with that show. Sure. it's Although it's exactly as it sounds, Bear Necessities, we are there to break down those exact things, the Bear Necessities. In season, you're looking at a weekly breakdown of a few pivotal plays from the week before, what I thought made a difference. Sometimes those are obviously the big plays, touchdowns, interceptions. Other times, for example, week one. In the monsoon, there was a little play-action bubble to uh, RPO to Darnell Mooney. Thought you could have found a way to expand the run game a little bit more there. That's an example of a pivotal play. And then breaking down the future opponent with some film of that opponent from their games, as well as ways and tendencies that we've seen that we can explore to hopefully deliver the Bears a victory. Well, it's an outstanding show, and I know you have a lot of fun and a lot of laughs on the Barfly Tailgate Show, which is on, on Sunday mornings 
9 a.m. our time here in Chicago, 7 a.m. your time out in uh, California. Is that is that a drudgery getting up that early? <laughs> oh, it's it's a blast. It's fun. I like to uh, roll right out of bed with my scraggly voice, and I get Chris Chris Watts over on the pond in England talking about wankers and everything else, and we have a good old time. Like we're in a virtual tailgate, if you will. We're we're grilling. <laughs> you know, disses here, there, and everywhere to Don Burr and everybody else. So it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> it is a good time. Uh, have you guys ever interacted with each other before? Yeah, I think so. On Twitter a few times, we've gone back and forth and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, this is the first time we've been in a show together, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, well, let's have some fun. Let's start with our first question, guys. Um, and here we go. Sunday night's demoralizing defeat to the Packers instigated questions about Justin Fields. He completed a paltry seven passes on 11 attempts. On one pass play, he missed a wide-open equanimous St. Brown. And on another play, he released the ball almost a full two yards after passing the line of scrimmage. So far this season, the Bears' passing yards through two games is rock bottom, 131 yards. They are also last in the league in completions and pass attempts. Is Fields simply a young quarterback fighting through growing pains? Is he a victim of being pressured too often? 56% of his dropbacks have resulted in pressure, the highest in the NFL. Is it Getsy in his play calling? Lester, your thoughts on Justin Fields? Please start us off. I think to answer those questions, it's a yes, yes, and a yes. A little bit of everything right now. It's... We're looking at a guy who's what is 12 starts into his NFL career. Um, you know, he, he's in a brand new offense that's two weeks old. There's going to be growing pains. I mean, he right now he's trying to get himself to a point where he he has a, a comfort level with everyone on his team. And you know, let, let's face it, I mean, he, they didn't do a lot to to bolster his receiving core around him. Darno Mooney still is number one, and you know, to, through two weeks, he hasn't looked the best. Cole Komet probably going to be his number two through two weeks, not looked the best. Uh, Pringle hasn't gotten involved. There's some question marks on the O-line, too. So it's growing pains at this point. It's a little too early to panic. Um, if we're having the same exact discussion uh, in, in about three or four more weeks, then, yeah, I think at that point, I think it's something we should have a, an issue with. But right now, two weeks into the Getsy scheme, let's, let us let Getsy learn his job, let Field learn his job, let the offense as a whole grow and get better together because that's what this season's about. I love the term better together. Let's see if Jordan uses the same thing in his 60 seconds. Take it away, Jordan. Sure. I mean, to me, when you consider the struggles that Justin Fields has dealt with early on, I think context is really the word that we should pay attention to. We have to consider that game one was in a monsoon where he himself admitted that he had to take an extra second on every throw to consider how much grip he had. We saw simple screen routes to commit fall straight to the ground. It wasn't pretty. So in some ways, it's fair to scrap that game away. When you consider the other factors, I'll certainly be the first to say I haven't been totally impressed with Luke Getz's play call. I think it lacks rhythm. I think that you could expand this run game beyond just the wide zone scheme that you're seeing. I understand they run an occasional counter out of shotgun, things of that sort, but I'm looking for a little bit more of a way to expand the offense. And then, of course, the last thing with my 15 seconds here is to understand that seasons take time. You have to let that offensive line gel. You have to let Justin work with these new receivers. They built him. They tore him down and are building him back up with footwork. That's going to take more than two weeks, a.k.a. don't panic. Don't panic. R E 
L-A-X, some quarterback up north once said that. <laughs> I think that's the theme here. You know, what's interesting is Luke Getze met with the media today, and when asked these questions about uh, Justin Fields, he pointed out to an array of things. One of them is, is that, you know, some of the misconnects aren't necessarily Justin Fields' fault. Listen to Getze talk about the miss to Darnell Mooney I think it was in the third quarter. Mooney didn't have great detail with the route. Where the landmark where you're trying to hit that thing was was way off to where from where he was. Justin could have helped him by throwing him over to that point. Um, so that part of it, you know, the two of them, you know, just not executing that necessarily at the highest level right there. Um, but something that, you know, we, we took it, we learned from it, we studied it a bunch this week and make sure everyone's on the same page, not just Mooney, but for whoever else might be in that situation the next time. Lester, we've heard this story before with Mitchell Trubisky uh, when Matt Nagy used to blame receivers for not being in their uh, spot or for not making the right route decision and so forth. But do you think that Getze here has some credibility uh, when he points out this uh, misfire between Fields and Mooney? I think at this point he does. I mean, if this is the same story, like I said, in, in – week eight, week nine, week 10, if we're hearing the exact same story, then maybe, yeah, maybe you're making excuses. But he did make sure to say that Justin Fields could have could have thrown him open. So he didn't put it all on Mooney. He put a little bit on his guy too. And, again, we're talking about a, a scheme that's fairly new for these players. Uh, they're trying to get their, 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 their feet under them right now. And, you know, I keep going back to growing pains, but, you know, it's 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 tough, man. I mean, this season is going to be a rough one for Bears fans because, you know, it's if they get – six seven wins if that's their max but but we're seeing growth that's all we can really expect as fans we want them in the playoffs but come on at this point the way the things look it, it may not be right there yet jordan your thoughts you know i think again this is one of those things where a little bit of truth at all angles i mean we heard justin fields talk about the fact that you know he was actually blaming darnell mooney a little bit more in the route thought that he should have cut it a different way. There's probably some truth to that. I also think, let's be fair, let's put some blame on Justin Fields. It's your job when you have one-on-one -on, -one on your number one receiver, give your guy a chance to make a play. In some ways, yes, I'm going to give him his flowers and say, I don't want you to make a stupid throw where you're giving up an interception. But I also expect you to give Darnell Mooney a chance. We'd all love Justin Fields to have a ball winner. I think I've kind of been the leader of that fan club. Somebody that'll go up and get him a bucket, attack the catch point. But right now, that's not what you have. You have Darnell Mooney, who can try his best. The last part I'd like to bring up about that, though, because I understand it's always about the Bears, but understand that the Packers get paid, too. That's no scrub at corner. That's Eric Stokes, first-round pick. The reason he went so high, that 4-2 to 4-3 speed. If you want to play that clip back, you can see the recovery where Stokes is just riding that low hip and then gets in phase with Darnell Mooney. Quick, quick, quick. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of everything. There you go. Lester, what did you think about the goal line uh, call uh, out of the shotgun position? Getty did address that today, uh, but for, before I play his clip, what did you think about the, the play call? Watching it live, I hated it. I, I thought that, you know, David Montgomery got you down there. He was doing so good at the time. I thought you could have, you know, kept the ball in his hands. Um, and I think he he could have got you that because, you know, he's used to those, those, those tough yards. He's used to that, but – in hindsight, you understand the play call, a quarterback power. It's 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 fairly fairly successful in those situations. I saw the the analytics came out and it showed that it's, you know it's it's actually more successful than you know you know going to the tailback in this situation. But 
like I said, in the heat of the moment, Montgomery was lathered up. He was the guy that got you down there. Let him finish the job. There you go. All right, let's uh, let's hear what Getsy had to say about the play. Uh, we love that play. Now we didn't uh, we didn't execute it properly. We, we for whatever reason we got we kind of saw something. We were seeing a little ghost a little bit up front, so they were able to get penetration where we should have had two linemen on one to stop that penetration, which kind of got Lucas off a little bit instead of cleaning that gap. And then it would have just been Lucas with uh, 59 in the hole, and then Justin, you know. Still would have had to run through some contact. But, uh, no, we knew that was our plan. We talked about it all week. Um, we went over every front that they present, and we, we had plenty of time. They, I mean, it was like a stoppage and play for the replay, right? And we're like, we knew what was coming, and that was exactly what we wanted. We just didn't execute it well enough. And, again, we got to get them coached up a, a little bit better so that they don't make that mistake. Jordan, one of your specialties is offensive line play. What did you think about the offensive line play on that particular play? And also, what did you think about the call? I mean, Luke Getze can sit here and talk about how he loves to play. A little secret, I love the play too. I just have to throw a little bit more blame on Luke Getze's plate there than I think other people want to give uh, consideration to. I don't think it's the best plan to have. And look, I'm all for pulling. This, this Some of the issues here is, hey, if you're going to continue to run wide zone, can we at least make some trap plays and pull some, pull some linemen across the formation beyond just stiff blocks from the tight end? So I'm all about pulling – uh, your guard there, Lucas Patrick. But on the goal line, when you're a couple inches away a yard, I don't know if that's your best move to, move to concede some some ground by pulling a lineman and then asking him to reinsert and lead up into the hole for Justin Fields. To go with the fact that, look, I love Justin Fields. I've been campaigning that I think they should have more designed QB runs for him. So I love the QB power call, in essence, maybe from even five yards out. But Let's be real here. Justin Fields, as much as we wish he was Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Tim Tebow, this big hulking guy, I think his game is much more speed, beating guys to the edge. Why do you have to sit there and run QB power, run bash, run sweep? If you really want that plus one in the box to have Justin Fields as your runner, pull him to the outside, run a QB sweep. I'm not asking you to pull up footage here, but the reality is there was a very similar play. Geno Smith ran it week one against the Denver Broncos in a critical situation, was able to kind of do that QB sweep to get across. I love the play, just don't know if that was the great time to use it. Factor has a question. He says, is that a good play to run if Patrick has a club in his hand and can't really get his hands on guys? Anyone want to tackle that question? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he, he's he's in there. I mean, they, if, if he's in there, they expect to do the job. I mean, he can't grab him, can't latch on. But in that situation, you're just looking for contact. You're looking to, 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 to move the guy to point of attack. And, you know, like like Getsy said, he, he wasn't able to get get around there. And like and like, like like you were saying, probably not the best time to pull a guy. And uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they could have put in uh, Tevin Jenkins at that point. But, you know, they're not going to switch on a play-by-play basis. But Tevin Jenkins has shown through two weeks to be one of your better run blockers. I think at that point, like Getty said, he had time. There was a, 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 a replay before that play. Maybe they could have reset and said, hey, we're going to get Jenkins into the game at guard right now. Excellent. A, a lot of what is with that play. But at yeah. the end of the day, it looked like he, he scored. So, <laughs> Welcome to Chicago Bears fandom. What if? <laughs> All right, let's move on to hot topic number two. Paul's first draft pick for the Bears, Kyler Gordon, did not allow a touchdown in 696 coverage snaps while in college. On Sunday, his second pro game, he allowed his first NFL touchdown. 
In total, he gave up 10 catches on 13 targets for 162 yards and forced only one incompletion. Kind of ugly. But on Monday, NFL Network's Brian Baldinger was complimentary of Gordon's play. Take a look at this short clip from his two-minute video that he posted on his Twitter account. But watch Kyler Gordon first quarter. I like the corner that's not afraid to get his hands on the receiver. Redirect Lazard right here. I like that confidence. Flip the hips. Now, play the ball in the air. See it? Play in phase. Here he is. Ball's in the air. Go make a play. That is well done. All right, you watch him in the run game. And watch him play off Randall Cobb here in the run game. Like a linebacker. Eyes up. Shed the block. Eyes up. Shed the block. Now go make the play on Aaron Jones. Like, the guy knows how to play, right? Gentlemen, tell me where your level of confidence is with Kyler Gordon and whether your preferred player in your mock draft would have been a better option. This time, Jordan, you start us off. Sure. I guess I'll go ahead and start by just saying that, I mean, look, I love Baldy. I think he's being incredibly generous, being very selective in the shots he's picking. That first play where he's on the boundary, that recovery speed is why you take a guy there at the top of the second round and why he was so cherished. At the same time, I want fans to understand Kyler Gordon is being tasked with almost a lose-lose situation. To come into the NFL and have to play arguably the hardest position on the defense, to be able to have to cover the entire route tree and fit the run at nickel, and then bounce out to the boundary to deal with X receivers, it's a tough task. That being said, I also want to be fair. I wasn't so down on the pick. I would have preferred a guy like Alec Pierce or George Pickens for Justin Fields. But truth be told, those guys were even around at the Brisker pick. The guys that I was hoping for at the time would have been a Roger McCreary or Logan Hall. Those guys were both gone. So I think ultimately, again, it's two weeks. Give him some time. If you really want to see Kyler Gordon flash and all he can do, watch the Washington tape. It's all over the field. I knew you were going to bring up Roger McCreary. <laughs> somebody, you just I love that guy, don't you? <laughs> All right. Uh, let us go now to uh, – what happened to my video here? Let's see. Here it is. Okay. <laughs> All yours, Lester. I mean, like, like a lot of Bears fans, I was a little surprised there was a cornerback taking that spot. Like most Bears fans, I wanted to receive. I thought there were a few receivers on the board, but – you know, they went with the corner and, and, you know, they did get one of the better corners in college football a year ago. And he is, he's, he's being tasked to, to play outside corner and nickel. That's, that's tough for any professional football player, let alone a rookie. You know, when I, when I was at camp and I saw them doing that with him, I was a little surprised, but, but you see the flashes, you see the ability there. The, the bears trust this kid to do the job. Like we talked about Justin Fields and, and most of the young players, it's going to be a lot of growing pains. You know, those clips from, from, from Baldy there showed him on the outside. I think he's more comfortable playing outside. I think when most of his struggles against Packers was when, when he was in the nickel. But one reason they like him in nickel because so, he is so physical. He's a physical player. You know, they, they believe in his coverage skills. But, again, we're talking about a young guy learning two spots. It'll take him some time. Indeed. Excellent responses, guys. Um let me play a clip from uh, defensive coordinator Williams, Alan Williams, on Kyler Gordon. He was asked, uh, are you concerned about 
uh, his uh, cornerbacks, his prize cornerbacks' confidence level. He is a mentally tough kid. Yeah. So, uh, so when, you uh, when, you when you have players, when you have people, people like, like that, that uh, a player uh, too, um, they don't shake they don't you. Shake you. The, the other so part the other that we liked about him was he was super smart. And that's, you know, he did play nickel in some inside in college and super smart, super intelligent, instinctive. So I still feel good about about that aspect of it. He'll be he'll be fine. Sorry about the echo, but generally, I think you got the gist of it. He's very confident in Kyler Gordon. But let me get back to you, Jordan. You had two cornerbacks, McCreary, and who was the other one that you rated higher than Kyler Gordon? Kyler Gordon, to me, was actually in that second tier of guys, and that's not so much a slight on him. I don't think that we have to live in some zero-sum game where because I like one, it means Kyler Gordon is an absolute zero. But he mm-hmm. was really in a level with he, Martin Emerson, and Kobe Bryant in that second tier of guys to me. The top five were, would have been uh, Booth, McCreary, McDuffie, uh, and then, of course, Stingley and Sauce. Those would have been your five. And then Elam I had as a tie for fifth. That was kind of a cheating five, but that's that's the list. By the way, uh, Larry T says that you love those short arms cornerbacks. <laughs> I mean, you, let, let me put it, I'll be very quick, but like you want to talk about you really want a nickel quarter that bad. And this is exactly why Tennessee snagged him before the Bears could even get him. Yeah. You don't have to worry about those short arms inside when he can just sit there and jam up dudes. And he was covering the best in the SEC for years. Lester, how confident are you of this duel moving forward? Do you think that the Jalen Johnson-Kyler Gordon cornerback duel could be one that the Chicago Bears could flaunt for the next five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, that's the plan. I mean, it it seems that way with Johnson. Johnson seems like he's on that path right now. I mean, teams – I mean, at this point, you know, they're not throwing at him because they realize they can go to Bildor, they can go to the rookie. And, and look, rookie corners in the NFL, they struggle always. I don't care if you're the the, – uh, a top pick, a second round pick, no matter where you pick, they're going to struggle. It's a different game. And then, and like we talked about, man, he's learning two spots. It's just hard. The learning curve for a guy like Kyler Gordon, because they expect so much of him, may take him a while to really settle in there. But I think at some point he'll settle in. You know, I mean, it'd be ideal to where he could just play one or the other, but that's not where they are right now with the Bears because of who they have on the roster. Um, that's a Ryan Poles problem right now. So, he'll get there. And I think that when he does get there and he, and he settles in, I think he's going to be there for the next, you know, like you said, five, six, seven, eight years. And Lester, let me stay with you. What is your overall evaluation of the entire defensive backfield as it stands now? Uh, much better than a year ago. I mean, it's, there's, again, there's still growing pains with Brisker back there. He, he had some, some coverage lapses, but again, we're talking about rookie, rookie safety struggle too. It's going to happen. Um, you know, these guys are learning a new scheme as far as Jackson and Johnson and Builder. You know, I think that they're a better fit for the new scheme, but it's they're still growing pains. They, they still have to figure things out. You know, they still have to trust the guys in front of them. You know, one thing when you're changing to a new scheme, yeah, football's football, but you got to trust the guys around you. And if you're thinking more than you're reacting on defense, that's not a good thing. And Jordan, you've been a big proponent for – drafting safeties uh, relatively high. Uh, tell the audience why you think the safety position is underappreciated by most draft nicks, most people who want to build their football teams. Tell me why you think the safety position and the Jaquan Brisker pick was a good one for the Bears. I mean, I just look at the way that the league is legislating football nowadays. We're in a world where essentially – 
every defense wants to play two high safeties. You're starting to see the green dot on the back of the helmets make their way to safeties. Jordan Fuller in Los Angeles, Eric Weddle taking over the controls when uh, Jordan Fuller went down. It's a situation where your safeties are becoming the traffic controllers. They're the ones that are being asked to fight and deal with the conflict that they're being put into with so many backside digs and crossers asking to somehow play the impossible role of making sure that you're not biting down on that and giving up a big play. But at the same time, you're not allowing this offense to gash you for 15 to 18 yards every time. And of course, the reason Brisker, the reason I was so high on him is he is one of those rare prospects prospects that can play in space, play deep in the, in the deep half because of his range, but also has a knack to want to play in the box and fit the run with bad intentions. And that's the type of football player that I think we've been missing in Chicago for so long. Lester, you, do you have any issue with valuing safety so high, sort of like Jordan does? I mean, at the end of the day, you got to take the best football player for your team. Um, you know, you, of course, you don't, you, you shouldn't reach for certain positions, but again, it all depends on how, how your team construction is. So at the time I wasn't high on the two picks because, you know, I wanted receivers. I wanted weapons for Justin Fields, you know, but when I saw the two guys they got, I had a chance to, you know, to watch the film a little bit. I understood the pick. So I had no problem going corner safety that early in the draft. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel, um, Similar to Jordan, this safety position has become so valued in the NFL now, and uh, nickelbacks are so valued. The, the game has changed dramatically, and it's going to continue to uh, go to a you know we're seeing what 60-40 passes in the NFL nowadays. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't doubt it by the end of this decade it'll be something like 80-20 or so. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, let's move on to hot topic number three. Roquan Smith had 11 tackles Sunday night, but as Dan Wiederer pointed out, only three of Smith's stops came within four yards of the line of scrimmage. What's up with Roquan? Is he out of shape? Is he part of a bigger Bears defense problem? Is this easily correctable? What's happening? Help us understand. Lester, you're up. I don't think he's out of shape. I mean, he's a professional. You know, he, he understood what he had to do. Um, he, he had the hold-in going on, so he wasn't out there with, with his teammates. But you have to expect at his point in his career, he's a pro. He knows what he has to do to keep his body in shape. Maybe he has to round a little more into football shape. But, but you, know, you know, missing time in camp, you know, it's not being in shape that hurt him. It's not being able to play with your teammates. You know, this is his first year playing as a weak side linebacker in this scheme. You know, he's used to the the 3-4 defense from the, the, the first few years in the NFL with, with Fangio and with Desai. So he's learning a brand new scheme. It's a different look. He's got new teammates around him. And I talked about in the last segment, you know, if you don't trust the guy next to you, if you're thinking of what you have to do as, as a defender, you know, if you don't trust the play call, you're still trying to figure out what you're supposed to do and what your role is in that. You know, it makes you play slower. So I think we're seeing that right now because he's not attacking the ball. And we've seen him in the past attack it. So he's got to get to where he just understands the whole defense and he can play faster. There you go. All right. Um, Jordan, uh, why don't you take over? I'm going to actually agree with everything that Lester said, but I just think I need to tackle the other two issues with it, which is to me, and I want to be very clear, the mentality of a player can change. He can all of a sudden find a new fire inside of him that can change it. But right now, I have a physicality and mentality problem with Roquan Smith. I don't necessarily know if he's fat or if he's out of shape, 
But I have a problem with the fact that, and this, look, this is not new. This goes back to his time in Chicago before this, as well as Georgia. He's used to having to play with three, four defenses where you have space eaters up front. And now you're in a situation where you're in a 4-3. Your defensive linemen are playing one gap. You cannot afford to backdoor every block and be afraid of contact. And I'm going to call a spade a spade. I have questions about if a zebra can change its stripes. When I'm watching Alan Lazard not even block him, just simply present himself as a problem and get in the way, and he all of a sudden still wants to backdoor the block as opposed to splitting what should have been an easy guy. He's fast, right? Split two pulling linemen. This is a mentality issue. Certainly is. And so that brings up the question, can he change his mentality and be a much more aggressive linebacker? And is he worth being paid the kind of money that he wants to be paid? Lester, I'll start with you. I think that's why they didn't pay him. They want to wait and see how he reacts. They want to see what he does. You know, when he doesn't have those big guys up front, you know, you know, doing a bunch of stuff with, with two gaps. You know, I mean, he has a different responsibility now. And and while as fans and analysts, we look and say, man, he's got the speed for the will. He should be a great fit for the will. You know, everything should be great for him. He's still got to do it on the field. And, and you know, he has not looked like he fits yet. You know, I think at some point he'll, he'll get a little more comfortable. But, you know, but like you guys are saying, you know, the physicality part of it, he has to understand how to take on those blocks a little better because, you know, they're not eating it up in front. You know, he he's going to take more one-on-ones than he has in the past, and that p- might be why they didn't want to pay him as much as he was asking for. Hmm. You agree with that, Jordan? Yeah, I. you know, to the, the main question of do I think it can be fixed, I mean, I sure hope, but I got to tell you, if I'm a betting man, I would stay clear of that bet. I, if, you, if you had to put a you know, gut, uh, you know, figurative gun to my head, I would say he doesn't get it fixed. This is a problem where I've – this is not new. It's not just this year. He has never wanted to stack and shed blocks. He is a st- kind of a sawn off shotgun as far as his build. He's not long, doesn't have incredible measurements. He's coming in at six foot. I'm watching power slots and Alan Lazard and tight ends give him trouble. All of a sudden, he's going to change his stripes and start fighting these blocks from these linemen. It's just never going to happen. And traditionally, he's been okay using that mobility and his shorter diminutive stature to kind of slink in between behind these big monsters of Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks. You don't have those anymore. That's not the defense we're going to be playing. Iberflus is never going to say, let's take off the athletic interior defensive linemen and put big space eaters there for Roquan. Because of that, how can I possibly sit there and tell you it's going to be fixed? I was never an advocate for paying him because I just don't know if he's that guy. What do, you, what do you think about what uh, Jordan just said there, Lester? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, it's that has to be a big reason. I mean, that's, that has to be the the first thing Polls thinks of is, I mean, obviously, if you pay him, you're going to pay him for, you know, four or five-year deal. You know, if he's not the long-term fit, you know, I saw Crutes uh, had a tweet earlier saying maybe time to put him at the middle. You know, m- maybe that could help his career out a little bit. I'm not sure if that's even going to help him because it's still the same basic stuff you're going to have to do there. It's just, uh, it's, 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 it's speed. He has to beat those blocks and if that's an issue he's going to have you may just see the bears decide to let him play it out this year offer him a deal because he's still a pretty good football player he's just not going to be at the same level that he was in the previous defense they may offer him a deal and it's a take it or leave it and then he may see him go play somewhere where he knows the scheme better he knows the fit better he may go to 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 to, to la and be with the chargers 
Let's listen to what Coach Williams said about Roquan today. I still like what he's doing. He's uh, He leads our defense or helps to lead our defense because we have a, a lot of leaders out there. Um, when he hits you, he, he hits you hard. He hits you tough. Uh, he's He processes quick, so a quick processor. So that means that uh, when things are about to happen, he, he sees it in, in advance. And uh, I just expect Roquan to continue to get better and better and better. Uh, but I, I expect everyone on the defense to do that, not just Roquan. Do you expect to have him Sunday? Uh, I expect to have all our guys. Uh, as far as I know, yes. Well, if you listen to uh, Coach Williams there, he sees no problems at all with Roquan, although he did go on and say he expects him to, to play better as the season wore on. But it uh, doesn't seem like he's got any issue. I wanted to ask uh, you guys, uh, who was it here that had a comment about Roquan? Um, something about Jack Sanborn and Weathersley. Do you do you think that Weatherford? Excuse me. Uh, Renewable asked the question. Roll better hope Sanborn or Weatherford don't look better than him. Do you guys think that there's any chance at all that these two young guys could overtake Roquan Smith's position? <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> no, no answer necessary unless you want to I mean, at this point, you got you know undrafted free agent type players, and you know I, I like the upside in both. I think they both have an upside. They both have obviously a, a career ahead of them. You know, right now they probably project more to special team guys, but you know we've seen it happen in the past. There's a chance them to get in the field, and they're not going to beat out Roquan, but you know you may see one of them push for some some time at the Sam. You know, and if there's an injury, they'll get a chance. But I mean, that, that's Roquan's gig. He he ain't losing it to one of these guys. There you go. Yeah, I would I would quickly say I, I I think of the same thing. Like, look, Roquan, just because we're harsh on doesn't mean he's still not a good football player. But I will say one thing about those guys, and this is just a bigger thing. We're talking about the value of safeties. This is half the issue with the Roquan Smith pick years later. I don't fault the pick when your window's open, you're trying to push it all forward to win the Super Bowls. But when you look at the first round linebackers that are taken and just where linebackers are going in general. We're looking for these taller statures. Your Jamin Davises that are 6'4", Baron Browning, uh, you know, Quay Walker, another 6'4 guy. Shaq Leonard's even a bit, bit bigger. I'm not telling you he's the biggest guy. But there's not many backers that are six foot making plays. Matt Milano is probably about the only guy I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. All right, guys, um, before we get off the topic of linebacker, I just wanted to get your evaluation each on Nicholas Morrow uh, and his play after two regular season games. I'll start with you, Jordan. I don't think Morrow's been playing awesome, but the, to me it's – I don't mean to sound like such a meathead, but linebacker play is about fitting the run. And I'm not even telling you that Morrow's done such a great job at it, but at least what I've seen – is a willingness to take on contact and to try to fight through blocks. And this goes a little bit to what Lester was saying. I don't want to steal his thunder here, but you can talk about putting either linebacker anywhere you want, but the reality is they were running it at Roquan as a weak side linebacker. They're just running it to the weak side. You want to make them a Mike linebacker? Great. They'll run it to the play side. <laughs> like it's, There's no getting out of this problem. This is the whole point. Like Roquan, I just need you to buck up and fit the run. That's what it is. That's what it's going to take. Lester, your thoughts on Nicholas? Yeah, I think he's playing okay. I mean, he's, you know, nothing, you know, extravagant, nothing really, you know, extra that he's been showing out there, but he shows that he's a solid football player. And, you know, part of it is we talk about the scheme. He's been in the scheme before. He played with it last year. You know, I know he was hurt in in, in Vegas, but 
you know, he was still there. He was still engaged, you know, and prior to that, he was in, in a similar scheme. So he knows the, the, this front. He knows his responsibilities better, which is probably one reason why he's wearing the green dot because, you know, he, he understands the calls more too. So he's more comfortable. He, he's got the speed. He's a little bigger than Roquan. And, and like Jordan said, he's more willing to take on those blocks and, and, and make the physical play. We just haven't seen that yet from Roquan. Got a question from Zach and, uh, he, uh, he's saying that Adams, Matthew Adams, has struggled too. Do you guys, anyone disagree with that or, or want to expound on what uh, Zach has seen? I, I mean, I'd love to. Uh, the, the, this Please. is a bigger issue, which is of just you want to put the Green Bay game in a microcosm. But a little bit back to the Kyler Gordon issue. Asking him, look, he's a physical player. He wants to fit the run. But that's a losing business model to have your nickel cornerback, you're playing that nickel defense, to fit up against Mercedes Lewis and these tight ends and big A.J. Dillon coming across on a split-back pony package to block up a guy like Kyler Gordon. Well, why am I bringing this up when we're talking about Matt Adams? Because they tried to play base defense against those 12 and 22 personnel looks, and Matt Adams got cooked, so they decided, okay, well, we need a little more speed. I guess we'll go nickel. So, yes, to that, that, that commenter's point, I don't think Matt Adams has looked particularly good either. That's a situation where you want to try a, a Weatherford or a Sanborn, go for it. I mean, this is West who Bay. Matt Adams is. He was a backup in, in, in with the Colts. He's a special teams guy. Um, I think he, the only game he started was, I think, four years ago with, with Indy. You know, he's always been a reserve. Yeah, he, he knows the defense. He knows the scheme. That's why he's here. You know, I think ideally the Bears would have rather seen someone else win that job. But, you know. This is who the Bears brought in. This is what they got. He sees their Sam. He'll play about 30% of the snaps because of the of their nickel so much. So this is who he is. I mean, he's going to be this guy the whole season. He's not Hunter Hillemeyer. I mean, I know a lot of Bears can look at the, the Sam over there. You know, he, he's not that kind of player. He's a little a little lesser than that, which and even with Hunter. Hunter wasn't, a, wasn't an all-pro. But, you know, this is who Matt Adams is, so get used to it. <laughs> Yeah, you reap what you sow. That's, yeah. that's really the story of this team. Uh, let's get one of our questions from the chat here before we get to our last topic. Uh, Renewable is asking about Alex Leatherwood. Do you think he's going to play right tackle or the left side? And also, he thinks that Carter might be pushing Whitehair, uh, at least for next season, with Whitehair's contract being what it is. Uh, let's just start with you. What do you think about Alex Leatherwood? First of all, what do you think about the acquisition? And do you think he's a, a worthy uh, prospect? Because really, that's what he is. He's a prospect at this point uh, to invest the kind of money that they had to in order to pick him up on waivers. Yeah, I thought it was a great pickup. I mean, you know, it's, he's he's relatively cheap. I mean, obviously, he's, he's still making first round money, but, you know, a lot of that junk was paid already for him. So, you know, it, it, this is a this is a basically a, a lottery ticket. You know, let's bring him in, see if he can if he can develop in in our system with our scheme with our coaches because it wasn't working with the Raiders. I mean, that that they had some issues there, but they talked about him at right tackle. I, I'm not sure if you know from what I saw, I'm, I'm not sure if that was the best place for him. His Alabama tape seemed like he was much more comfortable on the left side, whether it be left tackle, maybe even left guard, but. So far, it's right tackle, but, you know, right now he has mono, so he's not even in the building for another few weeks. And then as far as Carter, I think at some point, yeah, I don't I don't think Whitehair is going to be on the team much much after this year because the way his contract works out, he's 31, 32 years old. A big chunk of change next year, they're going to have to pay him. If they get rid of him, they'll save a ton. And then I think they would like Carter to win that job, 
But at this point, it's asking a lot of a guy that played at a small school um, as, as a young player to kind of take over that role. But ideally, you'd want you know those one of those draft picks you got this year to uh, to win that job. Jordan. Yeah, I guess let's start with Carter. I, I I hate to make it sound like it's always about politics, but I have a hard time believing your end of the draft rookie all of a sudden pushes captain Cody Whitehair out. Cody Whitehair has not been impressive, but he also is a he's the perfect example of a guy that I call set and forget. He's not getting your quarterback killed, but he's not wowing you. He's a steady Eddie player at this point. I, sure, the season's in the tank, and you want to see what you got in the young guys, throw the kids out there and let them play, but I don't see that happening now. As far as the Leatherwood acquisition, I don't know if there was a bigger supporter than me. I was practically begging Ryan Poles when he hit waivers just because I'm a believer that you don't typically see good offensive line talent hit the market. And for you to take a $4 million swing at a guy that was generally regarded as a top 50 to 60 talent uh, in that draft, and then you consider the context of what he was dealing with in Las Vegas – with that coaching staff throwing him out there at right tackle, a position he's never played, you think it's just Leatherwood? Go ahead and ask Panay Sewell how he handled it in Detroit, playing right tackle for a bit. It takes time to learn. You ask all the offensive line gurus, they'll tell you, it's like wiping your butt with your other hand. So you're putting him to right tackle, doesn't work out. All of a sudden you have some injuries, so you need to slot him into right guard. You're not even giving the kid a chance to establish himself. You want him to start learning new positions. Meanwhile, you're tearing down his confidence. So as far as I'm concerned, taking a $4 million swing on that level of talent, if you really believe in Chris Morgan, your offensive line coach, and you have a clear plan, which everything we've seen from this coaching staff seems like they have a plan. If you have a clear plan for him, take it slow and groom him to be the guy that comes in. I would presume at least I would imagine he fits in on that left side. Sounds like you have it where you want with Jenkins. And then potentially you figure out your right tackle, whether that's a Conklin in free agency or some other guy, maybe a Skaronsky that you draft. Interesting. Lester, what do you think about Larry Borum at right tackle? Do you think he's got a future there? I mean, he's got a future there because he's still relatively cheap. He's got, he's got a rookie deal. Um, I would like to see uh, Riley Reef maybe get a chance there and practice, see what happens. I'm not sure because Borum has not been impressive for the first two games. I thought Borum was competing for the swing tackle job. I, I would be more comfortable if he was a backup. But, you know, I mean, if he's beating out Reef in practice, if he's the guy that they want to put in there, they're going to have to live with it. You just got to hope that Braxton Jones can keep improving, which he did from week one to week two. I thought Jones played much better in his second game. You know, so if, if, if at least Jones can show you enough, if you only got to help and chip out on Borum's side, I think you'll get by. But I'm not overly impressed with Borum's game uh, thus far. And I, if I could just piggyback off of what Lester said, I mean, really, when you consider the offensive line breakdown, and I have to be fair to admit, I wasn't even totally considering that in my original response. They clearly have invested in Braxton Jones, and they're desperate to see this one work out. So as far as Leatherwood, probably not taking left tackle. Cody Whitehair, we just talked about, is probably one of those guys that can maybe be swapped out. So maybe Leatherwood's a left guard. Sounds like they want Patrick and Mustafer, and they're happy with that at center. I don't really think Leather, uh, uh, Leatherwood's a, a, a center. Then you talk about right guard, Tevin Jenkins, anybody that turns on the tape, he's been moving people like no other. So really it comes down to exactly what Lester's talking about. Borum, I think, did a good job of quitting himself as a rookie in a dysfunctional system. But admittedly, right now, and again, we always have to consider that first game was in a monsoon. I don't even know how well you're getting traction on the on the field. But at least in, in game two, he was pitiful. 
But I also want to be fair and understand that Green Bay has a top three to five defensive front in the league. This is, again, two games. Let's see it play out. Jimmy Mack asked the question, is Borum too big or is it a strength issue with him being pushed around there? What do you guys think? I think part of what Jordan said is just the Packers have a really good uh, front. I mean, with, with, with Gary, I mean, Gary bull rushed them quite a bit. He's just a, when he was drafted, I know he was a first round pick. A lot of people thought he was, he was reached for, but you know, he's come into his own. He, he's turned himself into a really good edge defender. You know, he's got a good first step quickness and he's got the power to go along with it. He uses leverage really, really well too. So I think Borum was just a little overmatched, um, you know, but, but like you're kind of saying, Two games in, one was a monsoon, one was against a really good front seven. Let's see how he looks against the Texans and then the Giants and, you know, going forward from there. So I think Borum will be fine. He'll settle in. I just would like to see a, a more talented player at that spot. Man, but if Borum wins the job at, at, that, at, that, at that draft status, he was there. If he can show that he deserves it, that's good for this, for this, uh, for this front. Yeah, yeah, I'll quickly just add to that too. The question was, is Borum too big or, or is it a strength issue? I think the issue with Borum has always been he's not, he doesn't get displacement. He's not a people mover, has never shown that in the run game. What his strengths have been is he is quick and slight of foot. He moves and gets around for a big frame pretty well. But in that, you need to be able to anchor. And I do have some questions about look, they wanted him to get athletic and slim down a bit. Well, how much of that does affect his ability to anchor down? to set anchor and stop these bull rushes from happening. Sure, he's quick, but the moment, and this is not just even him, it's Braxton to anybody. The moment that those defensive linemen get into your chest pads and they're driving them up to your neck, it's game over. And that's what's happened to Borum. Excellent stuff, gentlemen. Let's get on to our fourth and final topic. It's clear that this season is going to have ups and downs. Popular538.com website has the Bears with the worst division percentage of making the playoffs. I'd like each of you to preach to fans what their expectations should be. Should they temper their expectations because this is a rebuilding team? Should they expect nothing but victory every week? Or what? Jordan, the pulpit is yours. Sure, I'll go ahead and just start by saying I really think that fans should just take and try to savor this season for what it is. We only have 17 of these outings. They're not all going to be perfect. But really, let's hold it to a standard of, in this game, the way it's legislated nowadays, quarterback's the most important position. So let's see if we can get some real tangible growth from Justin Fields. Scouting those young guys, people that may be here beyond this year, seeing if Tevin Jenkins really locks down that right guard spot. There's certain things to glean. As far as actual matchups with my 30 seconds here, the way I would discuss this is that you want to see the Bears beat the crap out of lesser or equal teams. But you should certainly understand where the Bears sit in the totem pole. And when they're facing these perennial contenders, Green Bay, Buffalo, the Eagles with their roster now, understand where the Bears are at. And I think that'd be my final point in these 10 seconds here. Understand where the Chicago Bears are at in their trajectory of their team building versus the teams that they're going against to judge whether they should win or lose. Good stuff. All right, Lester, let's hear your thoughts on the issue. Yeah, you got to look at that website, and it's fair. I mean, it's fair. They have the Packers, Vikings, and I know Bears fans hate to hear it, but the Lions are probably gonna gonna finish third. I mean, it's a, that that team's in their in their year two of their rebuild. The Bears are in year one, so they're the Lions are a little bit further ahead. You know, they kind of have that that mentality of their coach. 
you know, so they're going to win those those ball games against teams that are about the, the same level of them. And like Jordan said, that's what you want the Bears to get to. You want the Bears to get to that point. You know, I've been saying all offseason, this year is all about building for the future. It's all about seeing who is going to fit, who are your building blocks this season. And there's no more important building block to know what you got, and that's Justin Fields. He's got to show enough this year that the franchise understands, yeah, this is going to be our guy moving forward. And I think at this point, they everyone in that room wants him to be the guy, but you still got to show it on a field. And right now it's like 12 starts in, a couple games in, in a brand new offense. He's struggling, but, you know, the future is bright for him. Certainly is. Good stuff, gentlemen. Um, so no playoffs this year, right? <laughs> no, I don't think that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Let's take a look at the schedule here, and they do have, you know, uh, the Texans and, and Giants over the next two weeks. That's a pretty, and then the and then the Commanders in Week Six. I'm not expecting them to beat the Vikings, especially on the road. But I do feel that their chances of get of winning three of the next four games are pretty good. What say you guys? Yeah, you look at the schedule, you figure, you know, they, they, they're favored against the Texans. It's going to probably be a, a, a pick them against the Giants. If not, they're going to be uh, – the, the, the Giants will be favored at home a little bit. The Vikings are fine, but, I mean, look, that, that's Kirk Cousins. Who knows if, if the good Kirk Cousins show up that day or not. And, and then the Commanders, come on, Carson Wentz, are you serious? And, you know, and then with, with, the, with the Patriots – you know, who who knows who they are? I mean, they're they're breaking in their their own their own uh, brand new quarterback. So, you know, then then you go. Unfortunately, it's a nationally televised game. Lester, televised game. And then you go ahead to the Cowboys, and if if Dak's not back, and it's still you know the backup, and it's like, you know, I mean, th- there's a chance for the Bears to make a little hay here and 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 inflate those expectations for fans. But you know, let's let's keep it real. This is still a team in a rebuild. They may get lucky. They may catch some breaks here, and they may end up win a couple more games than we thought, but this season is all about the future. When they have a, a, a whole bunch of money in cap space in next year, they have all their draft picks next year. You know, they'll know who is their core after this season. That's what this year is all about. And that's kind of the scary thing to me, uh, Jordan, because you look at players like Larry Borum, uh, Cole Komet, Tevin Jenkins, and even Justin Fields, those guys have to prove that they are a part of that core. I mean, if Justin Fields flounders the rest of the season and and carries with him, instead of the number one, a question mark on his jersey, then this rebuild, it's not a one-year rebuild. I don't care how much money and how much draft capital they have next season. You're looking at another another year beyond next season. You're looking at 2024 with a new quarterback and a new tight end and, a, and an offensive line that looks different. This could get ugly. What do you think, Jordan? Well, I think to me, and this is a, kind of the whole point that Lester's talking about, if for nothing else, can you grab tangible proof that theoretically you're starting to put together that cake, the batter's getting it together, you're starting to get ready to put it in the oven, are you seeing the young players step up? Justin Fields, you want to talk about him? He's, I get it. He's the talk of the town. To me, there needs to be a clear, decisive look that that guy is lifting your team to victories. The perfect example, yes, it was in a monsoon. We can even go back to last year, and I know they didn't win the game. But when they were playing the 49ers last year and even this year, Justin Fields had moments where he looked like the best player on the field. 
And that to me is what I think you need to be looking for. And you need to have a clear understanding that that is who we have or it is not. And these games like the Texans and the Giants and the Patriots where the way they're floundering, these are your opportunities for him to kind of stamp it and say, look, sure, we have a rough team. I'm throwing to Equinemia St. Brown and Byron Pringle. But at moments, I was able to skirt around the edge for a 45-yard run. I dropped it in the bucket on a goal line fade. Things of that nature to really lift above. And I think we all need to have those fair standards. We in Chicago are so kind of hell-bent to like, well, look, just mediocrity is okay. No. In this game, the way the league is mandated now, the way the game is legislated, you have to have elite talent at the quarterback position. And we should not mince words. When you trade two first-round picks and a fourth-rounder for a guy that was regarded as highly as Justin Fields was, it's time for him to start turning games in your favor, manageable games. Not against the Bills, not against the Packers, not in monsoons, but against these middling teams. Very good. I, uh, given uh, the work that you guys do, I imagine that you've had some time to look at the Texans. And Zach is uh, Zach Sullivan is asking the question. They've held opponent. The Texans have held opponents to meager offensive outputs. So he's asking the question: How do the Bears match up with the Texans? Lester, you're first. Well, it's a it's it's a different style of defense they're going to face than they saw the first two weeks, and it's a defense that Justin Fields should be a little familiar with. I mean, it's a you know, it's Lovey Smith. It's a Tampa 2S style defense. Lovey's the the play caller there on defense, so it should be something they're used to. They should have a, a good a good scouting hand in what they want to do there. And plus, the talent level from the Packers and the Texans that's that's night and day. I mean, the Texans are not a very talented football team. You know, uh, I mean, I'm rooting for Lovey. I've always liked Lovey Smith. I think he's he's a good football coach. But you know, I mean, his last his last few go rounds wasn't the best. So you know, I'm not saying the game has passed them by, but you know, well, I kind of see how, how the team responds around him. But, you know, they have a few good players on offense. Uh, the, 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 uh, Pierce is a good running back. You know, the quarterback, you know, as much as Bears fans want to look at him and say, oh, he's, he's not this, he's not that. He's he, he's had some pretty good stuff on film as a rookie. He's looked okay this year. That's Lovey though. Lovey's teams are always going to compete. They're going to be tough. They're going to be they're going to be hard, much like, you know, that happened in Chicago with, with, with Coach Flus. Similar stuff. It's like looking to a mirror, and I do think the Bears should win this game, and I think it's a good chance for Justin Fields to to really show what he has. And like Jordan said, you know, put his stamp on a couple games here, and this is a good good time to start. Jordan, I would I would echo what Lester said, and again, I want to be very clear. I get it. A game is a game. We're only three weeks in, but if you really want a game where, again, the, I really can't begin to harp on this enough. Understand where the Bears are at in their trajectory to chasing a championship. I mean this. The Texans and the Bears are about as equal in that position of that pole to getting to a Super Bowl as you can get. I understand that. You know, I get it. They've had a couple more first-round picks recently, things of that sort. But the Texans are somewhat of a barren roster just like the Bears. And this really is a time, I've, I've said it earlier, but Justin Fields really should take over this game. As far as scouting the Texans, I've done a little bit of it. I'm not impressed. I, I was a big Pep Hamilton fan. I think that he's rolling out a lot of 22 personnel, loves these three-by-one uh, nub looks where you kind of have that tight end <clears throat> inside, in line on your – he is the solo receiver on that side. You'll have three on the other. And I haven't been impressed with Davis Mills's accuracy, but there's so many weird parallels between that team and what we have. 
Damian Pierce, to me, I'm not kidding, looks like a budget version of David Montgomery. And that's not a slight. It's just one of those things where his contact balance, his ability to fight for extra yards, they've got a people mover in, in uh, Kenyon Green, the way that Tevin Jenkins is moving people. Their defense, they've got a, a safety, much like Jaquan Brisker, but theirs is Jalen Petrie, who likes to play in the box, likes to play that star position, and that nickel comes from a very savvy guy coming from Dave Aranda's defense at Baylor. So I think that – I mean, t- I, I know this isn't what Bears fans want to hear, but if you really want to dominate this team, run the ball on them. Uh, it's not that – and I want Justin to take his shots, but that should come from the play action. The reason I say don't just throw that all over the field is Derek Stingley has shown some real promise early – and they do have Steven Nelson on the other side, and they're working with Jalen Petrie. The one weak part is uh, Chris Owens there is the strong safety. But outside of that, that secondary is better than their front seven. Run the ball, pound them, force that safety to come up so that you can ultimately take advantage of that thing we talked about earlier, driving posts across the field, crossers, digs, to where Justin Fields can really beat them up with his arm that way. Excellent stuff. Uh, let's kind of bookend our show here by finishing up with Justin Fields. And Lester, I'll ask you, what are your expectations for this next game against the Texans? What do you think uh, Justin Fields can accomplish against this Lovey Smith defense? I think we'll see a little bit more of the kind of stuff we saw in preseason and, and in training camp. I think we'll see a little more of the bootleg stuff. You know, they talked about all offseason now. They want to be a run first team. And I think that's who they are, that's their identity. You know, they want to pound you. You know, they want to do that. They want to go with the play action. We didn't see a lot of that in the first two weeks, and, and that could have something to do with because those teams are familiar with that style. That's a, that's their offense as well. So, you know, we may see more of it here against the Texans. You know, I think I think they will open it up a little bit more just because, you know, the, the Texans' defense is not as, as good as the Niners or the Packers. Um, but I do think they are going to commit to the run. They're going to do that. A lot of play action, a lot more bootlegs, get them out on, on, on the edge. You know, and I think it should be his, you know, I know it's not saying much, but I think it should be his best game of the season so far. Jordan? Yeah, I to me, and I, I, I promise this is not for hype or hyperbole, but I, I, and I'm not trying to be harsh to Justin Fields, but if we've seen anything throughout those 12 starts, it's been very inconsistent. And the good news about that is he's coming off of a bad game. He somehow usually finds a way to just go up, and then you can bet on the next one being down, the next one being up. He's due for a big game. Maybe I'm just wistfully hoping that he all of a sudden blows all of our minds, but I genuinely believe that this is a game that he comes out and really, as I said earlier, stamp and proclaim his greatness. He's got a lot of work to do, but I do think that there's going to be plenty of opportunities for him to really show that he's the best player on the field. The Texans, like I said, they're not a super talented team. I think that the Bears can really rise to the occasion and overwhelm them. There is a, a question in the chat regarding Justin Fields and having him run more. Are you guys for that, uh, for more planned running plays with Justin Fields? Uh, to me, I would – I. <laughs> it's funny because – I know that everybody gets so skittish about we don't want the Trey Land situation, don't want Fields to get hurt. I think that you draft that guy with those abilities to use them. I've been begging and pleading that they institute more quarterback-designed runs. That's and, and look, I'm not asking for you to run power all the time and push him into piles, but get him out there beyond just zone reads. Get him on some sweeps. Get him on some power. Get him on bash. Pull, I mean, look, it, it's this is if you really want like the best play I could ask, 
pull your guard and, and, and tackle, run a GT counter with him running behind those two big guys and see if he can't find an alley to break off for 20 yards. I'm not saying it needs to be 14, 15 times a game, but right now I don't, I don't even know what we're averaging. It feels like certainly less than five. Give him six, seven, eight plays a game with that in mind. See, Lester? I'm more on the other side. I don't want to see him running very often. It's, it's not because of fear, just because that's not that wasn't his game at Ohio State. He's not really uh you know, he's not Josh Allen. I mean, he's not he, he's not Lamar Jackson, he's not that type of player. You know, I want to see him run a little more than than he than he has. I want to see him on a few designed runs, uh, but I want to see him on the edge. I want to see him getting rolling out where it's more of an option. Um, where he has the chance to take off and go. Cause I think his 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 best running is when he's scrambling. But again, that comes with time in the offense, understanding what's going on around him, knowing when to take off. You know, we saw as a rookie, he held the ball a little too much. There was a lot of times we were kind of screaming at our TVs, like, you know, just run it because you know it's not there for you. So I think as he gains comfort in as a professional, we'll see that. But but I'm I'm not totally against more design runs, but I just don't think that's his game. I think he wants to be in the pocket. He wants to win games with his arm. He wants to to get get yards with his legs when he can. And, and I think it's the best of both worlds if you kind of scale that back a little bit and kind of let him be let him be an athlete out there as well as a quarterback. All right. Any final thoughts on this topic before we pull the plug on this edition of the Bear Debate? No, I mean, other than how much I'm sure we're going to get to, but I've really, truly enjoyed my time kind of talking back and forth about the Bears here with Lester. You've been you've been excellent, Lester, and although I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, oh, anytime. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Lester, uh, tell us what you're working on and where people can catch your work uh, who may not be familiar with your podcast or your writing over at Windy City Gridiron. WindyCityGridiron.com. Our podcast channel has about six, six shows now. Our video channel, Second City Gridiron, we're about – about the same, a lot of X's and O's stuff, a lot of our podcast stuff goes there as well. So there's always something. Every day there's something new on the site. Everything we do with the pod or with the videos on the site as well. So just the site's where it's all at, and it'll it'll take you where you got to go. And that's where you can find Greg Gabriel's writing as well. Greg Gabriel's there with the two. Yeah, it's your guy. Yeah, he, Greg has been awesome. He is so opinionated. We love having Greg at the site. He has added a nice dimension to what we have there. Yeah. You went after a, uh, a Twitter guy this week. I was like, oh, wow. Greg is fired up. I can see the steam coming out of his ears as he's pounding those keyboards. Uh, Jordan, let people know where they can follow you on social media and what you got coming up this weekend on the Barroom Network. Uh, sure thing. You can find me at Jordan T. Silvera on Twitter. Uh, I'm also doing Bear Necessities every Saturday morning here on the Barroom Network, as well as Sunday morning, 7 a.m. Pacific time, early time for me. But doing the tailgate show with Aaron Current, Chris Watts, and uh, Ryan Kirkland Billings. And then in addition to that, every game, after every game, immediately at the conclusion of it, I post my top 10 takeaways, long, long threads, just about as I'm literally typing these live. So, yes, you may occasionally get a take one where Justin Fields missed a pass and he looks awful, and then all of a sudden he goes off at, you know, quarter three and four, but you're getting those live takeaways. Um, as the as the game's going on, and you can find that at the conclusion of every Bears game. Thank you. It, great stuff. And uh, Greg and I are scheduled to have a show tomorrow morning, so uh, we don't know what time yet because he's got a couple of obligations to take care of first. But we'll let you know on our social media channels uh, at Barroom Network on Twitter and on Facebook, just Barroom Network. Guys, you have been 
absolutely outstanding. I'd love to have you back again later in the season. And I'll tell everyone who's joined us live in the chat room, thank you very much for your interaction. And for those of you who are going to watch or listen on demand, thank you too. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon.